Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word, and we pray that you'll help us to understand it. Help me to apply it rightly into our lives, that it might not just challenge us, but encourage us to be your people and bring you glory in how we live. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of years after Shelly and I got married, I was still in seminary. We decided that I would try to do a 15-month full-time internship in Dallas, Texas, at Highland Park Presbyterian Church at the time, the largest church in the denomination, some 8,000-plus members. While we were there, I, I had a week in the spring uh, to go do something. Shelley had a week off from teaching. It was at the same time we decided, well, do we take a real vacation and do something that we wouldn't ordinarily do, or do we you know, hang out here or do we fly back and see family? Well, we're flying back in a few months anyway, so let's take a real vacation. So we went to the East Coast, someplace I had never been, and didn't know if I'd ever get the chance to be there again. So far, I'm still waiting to go back to the parts that we went to on that trip. We started off in New York City where we spent a couple of days seeing shows. And yes, we did see 42nd Street, one of the shows that I had really wanted to see because that was one that I remembered from a long time ago growing up. We did the usual things. We took the shuttle out across the bay out to the Statue of Liberty and hiked as high up as we could go on the top of the Statue of Liberty. And after a few days of uh, enjoying the city, we took the train up to Boston where we rented a car and stayed in that area for the rest of the week. We drove north from Boston and spent a couple days uh, first at a place called Seacrest Manor. It was a wonderful bed and breakfast. Nothing, no place I've ever stayed has quite compared with the memories I have of this beautiful old mansion that had its own apple orchard and sat on the ocean just outside of Bearskin Neck, which is a real famous place for fishing boats. And right there you see this red uh, fishing shack that you'll see in so many pictures. Cape Ann is north of Cape Cod. Uh, it's a beautiful place. It's also right next to the city of Gloucester, which is known for the Fisherman's Memorial. They that go down in ships uh, and uh, this dedication for those who have been lost at sea. We enjoyed that time, drove up into Maine, found snow in April, drove back, uh, spent a day in Salem, saw the house of Seven Gables, went back to Boston, spent a couple days there before we flew back to Dallas. There was a whirlwind trip, and even in Boston, we were constantly on the go. We walked as much of it as we could, the Freedom Trail in the time we had there, uh, we saw all the sights of Boston, so we didn't stop and go in, but yes, we did see Cheers, a little sign there with an arrow pointed down to the bar down below the restaurant. Uh, we also stopped to visit the Bunker Hill Memorial, because I like history. And so we went to Bunker Hill, and it's a national park. You can walk in the footsteps of those uh, men who fought some 246 years ago to earn us our freedom as a nation from the oppression, if you can want to call it that, as of Great Britain. You can still see the remnants of what they built in a few spots. 
And uh, when it's open, you can climb the 292 steps of the tower that they've erected there and look out that little window at the top and see a beautiful view of Boston Harbor. As we visited the Bunker Hill Monument, we, we learned familiar things about history that made the site famous. The tower was built to honor those brave Americans who fought and died to preserve our independence at the Battle of Bunker Hill. That tower, another view of it, is 220 feet high. So let me remind you a little bit about the history of that place because it's, it's something I'm not sure they even teach in school anymore. On June 15, 1775, uh, the Americans, or at that time the Bostonians, because we weren't quite a unified nation yet, learned of a British plan to occupy the nearby town of Charleston. So in an effort to frustrate the British, the Americans acted first. On June 16th, in one night, they dug in on Bunker Hill and began to fortify it. Some 1,200 men from Massachusetts and Connecticut, led by Colonel William Prescott, whose statue is in front of the long of the 220-foot tower there on Bunker Hill. Overnight, they built this earthen redoubt measuring 160 feet by 30 feet. And on June 17th, the British awakened to see this fortified hill and decided they couldn't leave that there. Uh, it was an affront. They ordered it captured. It took the British three attempts and the loss of some 1,304 men to take the redoubt. American losses were between four to 600 men. And the battle cry of those Americans that day became famous, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. Bunker Hill, an important point in American history. Now, for some unknown reason, perhaps it was working in the middle of the night, the Americans didn't build their redoubt on Bunker Hill, which was actually higher ground. They built their redoubt on a lower hill. So all the fighting at Bunker Hill's battle actually took place on Breed's Hill. Now the plaque that you see on the screen is on the back side of that tower. So you have to walk around to the back of it to see that. And uh, I had never realized until I was there that we celebrate the battle of Bunker, the battle of Bunker Hill on the wrong place. It's misnamed. Who knows what would have happened if the Americans would have chosen higher ground and harder to take, but they didn't. I was soon to discover there was something else about the Battle of Bunker Hill and the monument there on Breed's Hill that is not really well known. I couldn't help but notice all the houses that were around this small little hill just outside of the harbor. So I asked the park ranger, where is Bunker Hill? And he looked at me and he said, um, it's over there somewhere, I think. <laughs> it's hard to tell, really, he said. The hill's been leveled and raised, and the whole area is built up. That it's hard to be certain, but that general direction. In other words, this historic Battle of Bunker Hill, which took place on the wrong place and is now a national park, is all 
misnamed in tribute to some mystery place that we no longer are really sure where it is. So, Bunker Hill, Breeds Hill. What's the difference? The fighting was real. What those Americans died to create is real. So is the name that important? Here's the question for today. On this 4th of July, what's in a name? Does a name really matter? Well, let me ask you this. What was the name of the mission in which 187 volunteers, many of which were not Texans, gave their lives in the battle for the independence from Mexico for the state of Texas? Do you know the name of it? The mission San Antonio de Valero. I know you're saying, no, no, it's the Alamo. No, it's not the Alamo. The cry was, remember the Alamo, which we associate with the mission San Antonio de Valero, but Alamo actually means cottonwood tree, which grew around the mission. So when we say, remember the Alamo, we're saying, remember the cottonwood tree. But we call it the Battle of the Alamo and we celebrate the Alamo today. We've renamed the mission. And the place, the battle, actually happened. What's in a name? A name carries identity, reminds us of who we are. When I was growing up in a small town, people either liked me or disliked me, partly because of the history of who I was and who I was related to. They associated me with my father and my grandfather, who shared a name, or my great-grandfather, who shared the same last name. I remember wandering through town and people, old people stopping me on the street when I was in high school and saying, you're Sonny's boy. I'm like, no, he's my grandfather. No, you're Sonny's boy. I can see him in you. You're one of those Hawkins kids. Yeah, that was me. Names are meaningful. They, they, they carry with them a sense of identity. You all know folks by their names, like Samson, the strongest man ever to live. He's not just some myth. He's not the Jewish equivalent to Hercules. He's a, a real person who, who was born and who died, who fought the Philistines as a judge in Israel. But what does Samson's name mean? Strength of God. He was exactly what he was named. God's strength, the demonstration of God's power and might against God's enemies. Samuel, that little boy who heard God calling him in the night, who answered God's call, lived to be a prophet and anoint David as king of Israel. Do you know what David, what Samuel means? Means asked of God and his life of faithfulness is an answer to the prayer of his mother who said she would dedicate him to be faithful to God if God would just answer her prayer. What about Jesus? Whom we are here to worship today on this Lord's Day. Jesus, our Savior. Guess what his name means? Jesus means God saves. So was it any wonder in the Bible that in Acts chapter four, the response of Peter to the question of the Sanhedrin, by what 
power or in whose name did you heal this man, responds this way. Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no other name, under, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. No other name. Names are important. They give us our identity. It influences who you become as a person. You live up to your name or you live down to your name. Had a dog. Named him, somebody named him Trouble. Guess what? He was Trouble. From years and years of experience working with kids, you can give a kid a nickname and it changes how he thinks of himself. Take the shyest, scaredest kid to do anything and you call him Daredevil. And you know what happens? That shy kid suddenly becomes a Daredevil. What's in a name? It carries a sense of our identity. It also carries power. If I know someone's name, I can be familiar with them, sometimes too familiar if I forget my place and who they are. To know someone's name brings you close. Most adults don't want to be too close to children. So what do we do? We say, you can call me Mr. Hawkins. When I meet people, they say, oh, doctor or reverend. I go, just call me Darren. Name carries who we are. Our name also gives us power and authority. Why else do you think when we get really mad at our kids as parents, we use the whole name? Even that middle name that nobody else knows. That's when they know they're in trouble because you're exerting your parental authority over them, if you still can. Those who believe in the occult believe that to know the name of a deity gives you power over that deity. So in the ancient city of Ephesus, there were all kinds of occult shops that sold magic spells where you invoked the certain name of a certain deity who had power over a certain disease so that you could cure that disease. Why do you think it was that Moses, when God appeared to him in a bush that was burning but not consumed, asked God, what's your name? When I go back, who shall I say sent me? What's your name? I can just imagine the conversation between Moses and God. Uh, uh, a God? You know my name. That means you know my history and all about me. Uh, but God, you're going to send me back to, to, to Egypt and ask me to do all these things, so I'm going to need some help. And the only way I can be sure about this is if I know you're going to help me. So, uh, so tell, you, tell me your name. And that way when I command you to to do these wonderful things that you're showing me I can do when I command you to do them, uh, I know you'll do them. Did you catch it? God's response to Moses is, you got it all wrong. You don't command me. I'm commanding you. I'm the true God. I exist of myself. I simply am. 
You just have to take me at my word, and I will be with you. (laughs) Knowing my name doesn't give you power over me. It means that you know me, which is why I created you in the first place. In Christianity, we reflect what God said to Moses. I have heard my people's cry, so I am sending you. I will set them free, but I'm sending you to do it. I'm going to work through you. All other religions, and a lot of Christians today, get it backwards. We think, if I ask God, God will do it for me, because I control God's actions. I just have to use the magic formula in Jesus' name, and it's going to happen. And so the scribes and the Pharisees asked Peter and John, in whose name did you do this? What, what demon did you, did you call upon to make this man walk? Because it certainly wasn't the power of God. But Peter says, we didn't conjure any demons. Rather, we did the work of God in Jesus' name. Because Jesus gives us identity. He gives us power. He gives us salvation. He gives us hope. Jesus is the only name that is certain to give us those things. Jesus is the only name in which we can really know forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the only name that we have the power to heal emotional and spiritual and physical wounds. Jesus is the only name that is certain to have the power to raise people from the dead. But God's got to want to do it. God's got to ask us to do it in Jesus' name for his glory and not for ours. What's in a name? If the name is Jesus, there's power. Power to heal. Power to make us whole. Power to give us new life. Power to give us hope. The power to save us from our sins. So we sing. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms may all pass away, but there's something about that name. Now this morning, I don't want to end on a song because we've been doing that a lot this last month or so. I want to end with a question. By what power or in what name do we do what we do? I mean, think about it. How did you heal this guy? I mean, you can imagine the guy looking at Peter who's gazing intently at him. He thinks, I'm finally going to get a really good gift of some money here today. This guy's looking at me. I've got his attention. He's going to give me like, you know, not just the loose change. He's going to give me the gold and the silver. I'm going to have a good day. And he says instead, silver, gold, I have none. I can hear us saying, I don't have any power. 
I don't have any gold. I don't have any silver. I don't have any resources. Guess what? What you do have is relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name, you can minister, you can change people's lives. By what power and what name do we do what we do? Hear the words of God from Colossians chapter three. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for your word to us of a man who was healed because of faith. Faith received and faith shared, healing offered in Jesus' name because you wanted to do it. Let us not use excuses of having no silver or no gold or no power, no strength, because when we are weak, you are strong. Let us do all that we do in the name of Jesus to honor you. And let us hear your voice calling us to do what we can to share your grace and love in Jesus' name with those with whom we come in contact each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.